Long history. Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. The eighth Prime Minister, Charles Watson Wentworth. The Prime Minister who pushed for Great Britain to acknowledge US independence and who was Prime Minister twice from the 13th of July 1765 to the 30th of July 1766 and then from the 27th of March 1782 to the 1st of July 1782. Welcome to Long History and this is one of our episodes Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is where we pick a random Prime Minister as the title suggests and give a bit of an overview about who this Prime Minister was and about the times. We ask a range of questions such as what was this person like, how did they get in office and what were their major achievements. Now I've got a number of these episodes about UK Prime Ministers so I'm sure the others can all be found on your podcast provider but they're also available along with all of Long History's 250 plus other episodes on our website which is longhistory.net that's long history all one word. So here we go with random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 8th Prime Minister, Charles Watson Wentworth, who pushed for Great Britain to acknowledge US independence. Charles Watson Wentworth was the first of four Prime Ministers to hail from Yorkshire, being born in a house near to Rotherham in that county. He certainly wasn't exactly the typical stereotype of a Yorkshireman, however, nor with his birthplace the typical Yorkshire home. He was a man of the establishment, being schooled at Westminster School and then Cambridge University. He inherited the title of Marquess of Rockingham from his father when he was 20. Oh, and that Yorkshire home where he was born and the house he would also inherit was actually a mansion with so many rooms that its exact number is not actually known, but is over 300. Just a few interesting facts, there are a number of places in Canada and the US named after his title as the Marquess of Rockingham and also after his Wentworth surname, as well as inheriting huge wealth himself. When he married Mary Bright, his fortune grew even larger. This was a very wealthy man. Now, Charles Watson Wentworth is one of those prime ministers from the days when, with such establishment times, it seems almost inevitable that he would become prime minister. He actually held the job twice and there was a 16-year gap between his two times in office. Both times, apparently, he served as something of a quick, establishment-approved replacement for an unpopular predecessor who was shuffled hastily out of office so that, ultimately, the way was cleared for Britain to cede ground to the 13 colonies in their quest for independence from Britain. It was one of the key issues of the times and between his two premierships, the United States declared its independence. As something of a sticking plaster Prime Minister, therefore, both times Watson Wentworth held on to the Premiership only briefly, the first time for just over a year beginning in 1765, and then he spent 16 years in opposition before returning to the role for another even briefer stint, this time only four months in 1782. Why was his second stint so short? We'll find out later on. You may have noticed, however, that although most Prime Ministers are noted for their time in office, Watson Wentworth's most memorable achievements were perhaps during his time in opposition. Not least because his role in opposition for 16 years laid down the foundations and defined what an opposition was. And this is perhaps one of his biggest legacies to pass down in history. 
of regular listeners to Random Prime Minister of the Week will know that we like to ask a series of questions and then answer them. And the first question we always ask is, what was this person like? And it's perhaps the most difficult question always to answer. Perhaps the most revealing of Watson Wentworth's hobbies were his passions for horse racing and gambling. His horse won the very first St Ledger Stakes in 1766 and his famous race is still run to this day in Doncaster. Watson Wentworth even went on to come up with the name of the event at a dinner party in a local pub. In more of a political context, he seems to have been a serious man nevertheless and capable of inspiring enough loyalty and able to avoid enough disagreement to keep together a makeshift opposition for some 16 years before he became Prime Minister for the second time. His wife, as we've said, was the wealthy Mary Bright, who was from Pontefract in Yorkshire, and they had no children. They remained married until Watson Wentworth's death. So that's the introduction to Charles Watson Wentworth, but what was the UK like at the time? Well, despite, in fact, because of his two brief times in office and that large gap between, Watson Wentworth's premiership spanned three decades, the 1760s, 70s and 80s. He was Prime Minister both times during the long reign of George III. Yes, he was the mad one. And his reign, which was key to the success of Watson Wentworth, had only begun five years before Watson Wentworth's premiership, his first premiership, in 1760. During Watson Wentworth's first term in the 1760s, there were around 8,100,000 people in England, Wales and Scotland. While during his second term in the 1780s, the population had increased to 9,400,000 people. Ireland's population was also growing quickly during these years, with the figures we have found showing an increase from 3.2 million in 1754 to 4.05 million in 1781. Now, during the 1760s, a worker in the Staffordshire pottery industry might have earned nine shillings per week, which would be £116 in today's money, or US$145 per week. During his second time in office, a middle-class clerk in the East India Company, with over 20 years of experience, might have expected to earn about £200 per year. That's £46,000, or about US dollars although a working-class agricultural worker might have expected to earn about 14 pence per day, which was approximately £20 per year, £4,600, or US dollars And just to compare one town with today, Northampton, between London and Birmingham, was just becoming a major centre of the footwear and leather industry at that time, but its population, even by the end of that century, was not much more than 7,000. The Industrial Revolution had still not happened, so such towns would not begin to boom until the next century, reaching, in Northampton's case, almost 250,000 people today. As we've already alluded to, this was a particularly nation-defining time for the UK, with the 13 colonies of the US declaring their independence between Watson Wentworth's two periods in office. And Watson Wentworth's predecessor as Prime Minister, George Grenville, had led the administration which attempted to impose an unpopular Stamp Act on its 13 US colonies. It was a direct attempt by the British to tax the colonies. Such acts would bolster the phrase, no taxation without representation, which would go on to be a key issue 
which would drive the Revolutionary War for American independence. That unpopular act was passed four months before Watson Wentworth became Prime Minister. He then worked to revoke the act, and it was repealed during his brief tenure in office. The issue of the 13 colonies didn't go away, however, and by the time Watson Wentworth's second premiership was underway 16 years later, that's between March and July of 1782, the US had declared its independence and the Revolutionary War had begun. During Watson Wentworth's second brief tenure, there were a number of battles in the Revolutionary War. The US was in the process of defining itself, with the bold eagle becoming the national bird of the United States in June that year. So although Great Britain hadn't officially acknowledged the independence of the US by the end of Watson Wentworth's second tenure, he was key to pushing for that recognition. Who could vote in those times? Well, politics was very different to today, and although there were two groupings broadly called the Whigs and the Tories, they can't be called political parties in the same way we call them today. Rather, they were just collectives of people with shared interests and opinions. Watson Wentworth's time in opposition, however, and the long-standing ability of his opposition grouping, would lead him to help solidify what an opposition was. This would in turn lead to the creation of opposing political parties as opposed to disparate groups of people who shared a certain background. This meant that at this point in history, individuals held the most power, particularly those people who controlled rotten boroughs. These were boroughs which, through a historic quirk, had almost no voters, which meant that any patron who could directly influence anyone in the area could represent that area in Parliament. Watson Wentworth himself, he was asked to take office both times by the King when the previous Prime Minister fell out of favour. When elections were held during those times, different boroughs had different rules in place for who could vote, but this was generally limited to men who owned property. So we've given a bit of an introduction to Charles Watson Wentworth, but what was his background? He was born in 1730, and we've already mentioned that Watson Wentworth was at the very heart of the establishment. This went deeper than you might expect, however, because even in his earliest years, he showed a youthful spirit when siding with George II, George III's predecessor, during an attempt in 1745 to usurp the throne by the pretender Bonnie Prince Charlie. With George being a specifically Protestant king, and this Bonnie Prince Charlie being a Catholic heir to the same throne. This all took place when Watson Wentworth was only 15, so not only was he at the heart of the establishment, but he backed the right side even as a youth. Watson Wentworth inherited a vast fortune from his father on his 21st birthday, along with the control of some of those rotten boroughs, which gained him electoral influence, which increased over the years as he gained increasing influence in the Yorkshire area. The first time he became Prime Minister, he was 35. How did Charles Watson Wentworth become Prime Minister? When George II died and George III took over in 1760, it began a tumultuous decade in British politics, both caused by and reflected by the quick succession of Prime Ministers during those ten years. It was a decade of poor crops, increased food prices and unemployment. 
There were six premieres in total during this time, with the seventh beginning his premiership on the 28th of January 1770. And it was perhaps due to this tumult that during this decade the notion of the Whigs and the Tories as two distinct political groupings began to gain traction, particularly during that jumble of changing administrations, the Whigs eventually being made up broadly of the reformers, including industrialists and people from non-conformist religions, whilst the Tories were made up of the old moneyed gentry. This divergence began when, in 1762, the government, headed by Thomas Pelham Holes, the Duke of Newcastle, fell. It was replaced by John Stuart, the Earl of Bute, the first Tory to take up the role. The latter sacked many of the former's associates from government, and these unhappy men, sacked from their jobs, formed a group in opposition that was more robust than any previous temporary faction. Watson Wentworth was part of this faction, and would go on to solidify it further. Various factions of both groupings would be formed before they eventually settled down into the two main parties. In the meantime, however, Watson Wentworth's faction was called the Rockingham Whigs. Do you remember George Grenville's Stamp Act, which had proved so unpopular with the 13 colonies? Well, that led to Watson Wentworth's immediate predecessor, another of that decade's many prime ministers, George Grenville this time, to lose favour with the king. As the only palatable replacement, Watson Wentworth was nominated for the role and took up the position on the 13th of July, 1765. He had no personal investment in the Stamp Act and so promptly repealed it, despite much opposition from his predecessor. While he repealed this unpopular act as an attempt at compromise, Watson Wentworth's administration passed a new act asserting the right of the British to tax its colonists, even if they did not do so in practice. It was a bit of a mistake. The British, in this way, cancelled one offensive act, but replaced it with another one. The colonists were not impressed, and a new country would soon be born. Watson Wentworth's second brief stint in power began for reasons which in many ways shadowed his first stint in the job. After the 1760s and those many prime ministers, by the 1780s the post of prime minister had been stabilised under Frederick North, Lord North, who had been prime minister for 12 years. It was those pesky 13 colonies that caused his downfall. He lost what's known as a vote of confidence where his ministers hold a vote and decide if they want him to lead or not. This vote was prompted by the decisive loss in the Battle of Yorktown, which all but led to the end of the American Revolutionary War. Britain needed a new leader who could face the reality of this loss. Watson Wentworth and his faction had waited in the wings during all the time that Frederick North was in office. Now that he had become unpopular in the same way that George Grenville had done years before, it was Watson Wentworth's time to step in again. He was asked to return to office, where, once again offering a relatively clean slate, he could influence the government to accept the inevitable loss of the colonies. What were Charles Watson Wentworth's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? As Prime Minister for the first time, his principal action during his short premiership was to repeal the unpopular Stamp Act, the US would nevertheless declare its independence in the following decade. 
During his second time in office, only four months, he influenced the eventual surrender of the British in the American Revolutionary War. It was his role between these premierships, however, that is perhaps his greatest legacy. He did something that is perhaps fundamental in a democracy. He left his premiership in 1766, but held on as an opposition force with a specific grouping, only to re-enter office with that grouping in 1782. This was the very first time that a grouping left and re-entered office in this way, and as such, it was an early iteration of Britain's party system and democracy in action. Why did Charles Watson Wentworth stop being Prime Minister? At the end of his first premiership, the tumultuous times had continued and the disagreements in government had not settled down with Watson Wentworth as the new leader. His popularity as Prime Minister quickly waned, presumably because the King had only promoted Watson Wentworth because of his dislike for his predecessor. Presumably, Watson Wentworth didn't massage enough appropriate egos to remain in power long. Moreover, his successor was an immensely popular man, being William Pitt the Elder, who had helped lead the country through the Seven Years' War, which had ended in 1763. Now one lesson to be learned from all these Prime Ministers of the week is that the best trump card to hold is that of being a war leader. Now Charles Watson Wentworth couldn't compete with a war leader, so his first premiership ended on the 30th of July 1766. And why did his second premiership span only four months? In fact, barely lasting over three months? Well, he died in office of influenza. He was buried in York Minster, a staple tourist attraction for anyone heading north from London on a tour of England. As they head north from London to York, they will pass very near to Watson Wentworth's 300-plus room mansion, which as of this recording is being restored. Charles Watson Wentworth the second time was replaced by William Petty, the second Earl of Shelburne, who as it turned out would be another of those short-lived Prime Ministers. So, why should we remember Charles Watson Wentworth? He was only in office briefly, and perhaps at the end of the day, he will be best remembered for actually naming a horse race, the St Ledger. Nevertheless, he was key in the evolution of the notion of political parties, and gave us the first example of a government both leaving and re-entering power, an important indicator of democratic stability. In both of his times in office, he seemed to have a particular role, as a stopgap reformer who served to replace unpopular predecessors. Both of his stints in office coincided with a tactical retreat by the British when faced with opposition from the 13 colonies. It can be said, therefore, that he was particularly influential in acceding to the colony's demands for independence, even though he died before independence was definitively acknowledged by the British. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This particular history goes centuries back in time to the very first of the UK's Prime Ministers, and even before the United States existed. As always, please just see this as an introduction to the man and the times. This is very complicated history here. What on earth was the Seven Years' War, for example? Don't forget, we've got a few of these Random UK Prime Ministers of the Week now, and there's also lots to explore. There's over 250 episodes of Long History now, and if they aren't available on your standard podcast provider, don't forget they're available on longhistory.net. Thank you for listening, everyone. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. 
the eighth Prime Minister, Charles Watson Wentworth. Goodbye.